let's get through this quick because I know that you are very interested in hearing the interview with Chris. So uh, this podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Uh, you can try out their service and get a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash watch out for fireballs. Uh, you can get it for any device that you have, any book that you want to get. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go listen to this awesome interview. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And I am Chris Avalone. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs, a very special episode of Watch Out for Fireballs, a retro games podcast. Yes. And as you heard, we are joined by Chris Avalone, um, appropriately to talk about Fallout 2, since this is part of the uh, companion uh, episode for our conclusion, the wrap up to that uh, to that game. Thank you very much, Chris. Hey, well, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be asked. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we we have some kind of we try to do our little discussion just so kind of questions and points will come up um, before we we have anybody on, and uh, we've got some some questions here. We're just kind of going to go back and forth, but anything, uh, any digressions or any any such points that you want to make are, are welcome. Um, and you know, we also recognize this was a long time ago. <laughs> you know that uh, that you know the game came out. So uh, uh, if it I seems may, like we're... I may be sketchy on parts, but I will do my best to recall as uh, to the best of my ability. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a deposition. I don't want you to feel <laughs> yeah. like it's not a deposition. I just don't want you to think that we're holding your feet to the fire if we ask, uh, you know, anything that is uh, insanely. We have it very fresh in our memory, yeah. I guess, is, uh, is my only point. So, um, so I'm not going to Mirandize him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. yeah. There's probably some kind of podcasting code that you're supposed to... <laughs> supposed to do that but um we don't play by those rules we have an unrated or an adult rating on itunes and we get away with breaking all of the (laughs) you guys are a podcast on the edge there's no way the the local authorities are going to slow you guys down you're going to get your man i'm broadcasting from sea i don't know if you you know (laughs) about that but international waters are no rules they'll never find me yeah Yeah. chris i know a guy that can turn anyone or anything into beef jerky if you (laughs) If you have any needs, you let me know. International Waters. <laughs> that sounds great. Specifically, <laughs> specifically my beef. dietary habits are. like I, I used to have like only about drawers that just fill with beef jerky. Just so I'm like, you know what? I, I have craving for meat, and I don't feel like getting up. So, yeah, it's, yeah. anyway, I eventually stopped after a while because, you know, there's <laughs> sodium intake. Anyway, complete divergence from your questions, from your yeah. thoughts about Fallout 2. I will steer it back on course, and here we are. I, I, I kind of want to hear more about these tactical jerky reserves. Oh my God! <laughs> Every kind of flavor, and they actually uh, people people actually used to bring uh, beef jerky back from their trips for me. I think they they felt sorry for me, or they wanted to feed me in my cage or something. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, what what is the most unusual animal you have eaten a jerky of? Uh, let's see. Um, actually, I don't know if I've eaten uh, a particularly unusual type of jerky. I knew that, uh, I mean, I've, t- I've tried the turkey jerky and the strange pepperoni jerky or whatever the hell it is. And then, uh, you know, someone brought back some alien jerky from like some <laughs> casino town on the way to Vegas, which, you know, I skeptically had some of. And it wasn't too bad until like about an hour and a half later. And then it all came like shooting out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that was the plan i don't know but uh yeah but no that you know what i guess i don't have an unusual jerky story but gary if you do happen to kill anybody and you happen to share some jerky with me and don't happen to describe where it came from chances are i may i may have unusual jerky without <laughs> so. yeah what, what if this whole this whole podcast thing was just a ruse to get you on our beef jerky podcast yeah and we actually we heard about your legendary love of jerky and reserve sold yeah sold yeah. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, you've, you've got, you've got a willing, willing volunteer here. I will be on yeah. that show anytime, anywhere. And we're looking the for inv- boys is what we call it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're looking for investors in our no questions asked jerky label. Yeah. <laughs> just jerky pranks. Yeah. yeah, just jerky pranking. Yeah, you know. <laughs> how, do, how do we recover from that? Segway, segway. You know, I think we should just go with the jerky for now. On. Yeah, like you know, that's what Fallout Two really needed. Well, there is the the jerky vendor. Uh, there is. Yeah. Yes. There's a... I mean, we have a lot of questions about the jerky vendors. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's that's not true. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and there was good old iguana Bob in Fallout One, and man, <laughs> oh, creepy, creepy, creepy. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to bite one of Gary's questions here and ask, like, you know, when you when you were brought on to Fallout Two, were you a fan of the first one? I was. <clears throat> it was developed under the radar sort of an interplay and like I, I i don't know if you guys know the whole history but originally it was supposed to be a groups game mm-hmm. you know it was supposed to be like a spiritual successor to the wasteland game that came out from interplay like in the 1980s yeah mm-hmm. and then um yeah so uh tim kane and the crew uh uh turned it out uh they made a awesome rpg it took off in a way that the executives did not expect um, they they weren't sure how the game would be received. So they were like, ah, you know, just just you know, just turn it out there. We don't have to we don't have to put like a huge marketing push behind it. And then people went crazy over it, and uh, they should have because it was a great great game and had a lot of really cool design innovations that I had never seen before. Like that whole you know stat based dialogue, the fact you could, the fact you get all this the stupid conversations, <laughs> you know that you could plant explosives on people. And there's like multiple ways to solve quests and and just like the story and the characters were just really 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 good and um i don't know yeah no i really enjoyed it uh you know uh and i got asked if i would actually work on fallout one because i needed some writing help and i still kick myself in the ass to this day that i didn't say yes but no i wanted to work on a horrible product called descent to undermountain which you know this is this is does not speak to the people working on it who worked very hard but it was just a project that was a bad idea and but nevertheless i felt compelled that i had to see that you know the work done on it um so i had to say no to fallout one and and telling tim kane that no i i would not be able to work on fallout one was one of the saddest days (laughs) i can recall uh, but anyway, the another sad day was uh, Fallout 2 got fired up at Interplay, and it went through a few story iterations before Tim and the crew, like Leonard Leonard uh, Biarski and Jason Anderson, the, the, the sort of the triumvirate there, they eventually came back on board to do the quote-unquote real version of the Fallout 2 storyline, and mm-hmm. then they departed Interplay not long after that, so... When that happened, uh, our, C, our, our division director of Black Isle, um, Fergus Erghart, came in, grabbed all the designers and said, okay, well, we've got this, we've got the area specs for Fallout 2. We've got like these one or two page descriptions of some of the locations. Now we're going to divide these up amongst all of you and let's get rolling on this game. So I got, uh, I got the Raiders, I got uh, uh, New Reno, I got a chance to finish up the work that had been done on uh, Vault City and then I got to do the special encounters as well. And all of that was a lot of fun. Can you kind of um, <clears throat> going through this, like uh, something I always wonder when I, um, you know, I really uh, kind of uh, mythologize a game that I played. Like what was like the, the kind of environment like when you were working there? 
You know, like is it was it uh what was what was it like back in that at that time? Oh man. Uh so during Fallout two, I'll be honest, it was a very desperate feel to uh Black Isle and just it's just interplay in general. Like uh we were having a pretty bad year, which was going to be a habit that was gonna continue for many more years after that. But uh, Fallout 2 had to get out within a certain period of time or also would cause a lot of damage to the company and a lot of people would be get laid off. So there was that time pressure <laughs> uh, with development for Fallout 2. So that was pretty rough. Um, mm. We had the Baldur's Gate series, which were doing pretty well for us. But in terms of carrying the entire company, uh, that was pretty hard. And in addition, uh, I was getting pretty stressed out because I was actually working on uh, Planescape Torment at the same time I was working on Fallout 2. So trying to juggle both of those was an insane amount of hours, which, of course, didn't didn't end once Fallout 2 was over because then I immediately went full-time on a Torment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the, the hours pretty much stay the same, but at least, at least it was focused on one product. So there was a lot of pressure, time pressure to get the game out. Um, we were really worried about everyone keeping their jobs. Uh, there was a lot of long hours, but being there in the frontline trenches and developing all that content and getting to work, you know, with the whole studio and pushing towards, you know, releasing this Fallout, you know, releasing Fallout Two was a was a really great experience. Looking back on it, despite all the stress. Yeah, great. Yeah. So kind of kind of looking at that structure, you know, kind of how you how everybody was kind of handed these different areas, you know, kind of the natural result of that is that Fallout 2 kind of has a different tone and structure uh, than, than, than Fallout 1 itself. You know, was that a conscious effort or did that just kind of happen naturally, uh, you know, as a result of the people working on it, the environment uh, that you guys were in um, at the time? I think it was more the people that were placed on it. I think by themselves, the actual locations and the tone that was intended for Fallout 2 would have been much different had Tim and Leonard and Jason remained on the project all the way to the end. Fallout 2 is sort of my case study for what happens when you don't have one strong vision holder or one strong creative director sort of guiding things because you always need somebody like that making sure that no one goes too far off course with, you know, references or tone or, or an area that doesn't quite fit with the rest of the game. So while each individual area had its own kind of interesting flavor about it, I don't know whether it ended up being as cohesive a whole as it could have been had there been more, uh, oversight over some areas, and like, and I'm, I'm I'm absolutely guilty of that. Like, New Reno feels, you know, pretty different than other parts of the game. You know, San Francisco certainly feels very different. Uh, you know, the stuff in Fault City. You know, it, it basically, it, there are some areas where it just feels like the quests and the dialogue and the references are not quite as. Uh, I've already used the word cohesive, but <laughs> I, I guess they, they don't all feel like they're always part of the same world. And I think the the game was kind of hurt by that. But the, the, but then again, to balance that out, there's like tons of fun stuff to do in Fallout too. Like you can run around just about everywhere. There's there you know there's tons of stuff to find. Uh, you know the the quest lines, even if they go in odd directions, there's still a lot of quests and things to do. So I think players appreciated that. And then some of the best compliments I ever got about New Reno was, you know, even if they don't like the tone, they did appreciate that for each of the character builds, at least there was a lot of cool stuff to do. And that was a conscious effort. So I think the the areas ended up being partly successful that way. But I think with a stronger creative lead and vision holder, 
uh, the game could have been even better. And I think a lot of the Fallout 1 fans at the time would have appreciated that more because a lot of them were were pretty unhappy when Fallout 2 got released because it was so over the top and there were so many inside jokes and references and some of that I can attribute can attribute to like you know junior designer itis we're like oh wow you know I'm working in a real world setting but I can cuss and do all these things so I'm going to slip every reference I can and like and I you know I, I, I completely did so now that you know I'm a little bit older and wiser I always try and make sure with junior designers that come on board that that's not the way to go about creating entertaining content content and there's other ways to to do it so an old, an old world blues is kind of like a nod to that like there's a ways there's ways of creating humor and comedy that mesh with the overall world aesthetic you know the, where you don't have to include every you know reference to every other video game and <laughs> inside joke and wink wink and ha 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 and you know darth vader stuff you, you just don't need to do that so. right yeah kind of um you know despite the you know, are kind of in line with that. Um, there are parts of Fallout 2 that get really kind of racy as well, um, which was a yes. kind of a total, total <laughs> difference, uh, especially in New Reno, which is, which is your, uh, your baby. It is filthy. And, that is one yeah. filthy scene. <laughs> it's so we, we should say, too, um, on, that's uniform or, you know, unanimously Cole and I's favorite area of the game. Like, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, that feeling almost like a, um, we kind of picked up on that, that otherness. Like, it almost felt like, a, like an expansion for the game like it had the amount of content and uh was its own kind of separate area like a quest hub on, on a yeah. scale that wasn't el- elsewhere in the game mm-hmm. um, those areas took a long time to load back then too there was so <laughs> much stuff uh in new reno that yeah it consumed a good chunk of my design time mm-hmm. and i think it's also a reason why the the area where the raiders are is kind of sparse is because so much energy was being dumped into new reno but uh yeah there i went a little nutty with uh, the quest lines and <laughs> the stuff you could do and I think part of it was when I, under- I originally got the um, the area summary that the original you know uh, you know Tim Leonard Jason had set up for New Reno they had a lot of content present in that location and I wanted to make sure I included that plus more stuff mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that was probably an unwise decision. I think if I had knocked one of the families out, for example, and then downscaled some of the other stuff, I could have made it a little bit more manageable location. But that being said, it was a hell of a lot of fun to do that stuff. Like I, you know, I enjoyed having all the stealth ways for killing all the mob bosses, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and doing extortion and doing the murder mystery and it, I don't know. And then, you know, I got to write Myron and writing Myron was fun, <laughs> even though I thought he was a pretty unsuccessful character overall. But I, you know, I still enjoyed doing that. So yeah, no, I had a lot of fun with it. And I, I certainly hope people that played through it also had a good time because I just try to make sure there was much variation for character builds as possible in that location. Specifically with all the fluffing and such that goes <laughs> yes. on there, the, uh, was there any of it that was kind of was hard to get out or was too racy? Um, anything you wanted to do, like you wanted to push it in that area and, and didn't you know, kind of scaled back? Um, actually, the, uh, the 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 sort of the sex tone and the raciness actually helped me write quite a few times. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in Old World Blues, I think that's why Dala and Eight. You know, have their little little nods to being oversexed, just because sometimes it's a little bit more fun to write characters like that. Uh, in New Reno, uh, yeah, there were a few things I think we had to downplay. One was, you know, we I, there was certain language that we eventually had to take out. Like, you know, as, as as filthy as the town was, it was you know considerably filthier before the the edit. <laughs> and then I think that there were some sequences with Myron that were just like QA was like, nope. <laughs> so, but and I completely understood why. So yeah, it all it all it all eventually worked out. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just and segueing kind of speaking of Myron too. Um, one of the things, and this is kind of a long involved point, but if you'll bear with me here, um, one of the things I really love about Myron is when, when you talk about him being unsuccessful as a character, um, to me, it kind of spoke to, uh, kind of design in the face of a, a win state, like flying against a, a win state where he's not a very good NPC. You know, he's not going to, to be very helpful, but he's so interesting and, and he's also a bad person. So yeah. you're not motivated by, by helping him or, uh, you know, a desire to help. You're just motivated by kind of the depth and him being interesting. Um, you know, can you, is that something that was, was, again, was conscientious? Can you speak at all to that kind of, uh, you know, design philosophy? Like I, it's something, you know, I also argue a little bit for kind of Goris and Skynet, which I know you didn't, didn't, uh, design, but that's one of the things I really love about Fallout 2 is that, um, there are things in the game that you can do purely for the sake of doing them that don't actually advance, you know, your character or make it easier to win. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a good point. My companion design philosophy actually got forged uh, out of Fallout 2 and all the mistakes that I saw there. Uh, and I, I, you know, and, uh, you know, not to, not to downplay Myron, like I certainly enjoyed designing him and writing him. But he was the first example that taught me a majority of players will not take this companion because, quite frankly, that, that companion does not add that much to the system mechanics in the game. What you want to do is you want to have characters that join your party that serve some sort of active function. Like They don't have to be like combat monsters, but they have to be helpful in some way. And characters like... Myron, who you know, granted he can you know make stem packs and stuff, but is that you know is that really useful? Like you know, do I really need a high science skill? You know, other than that, Myron's pretty you know, you know, useless. But uh, especially when you read all the forum posts and people much prefer like Bone Nose and Cassidy and Vic because of their weapon loadouts and the, and you know and how good they get at higher levels and all of that makes sense to me. It's just a matter of when you do companions. It's very difficult for players to get motivated by someone that's basically dead weight. And I thought that, um, in particular, Myron and I believe Lenny is Lenny the ghoul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Points. yeah, Lenny's basic function is to sit there and you know be, be shot, which is not <laughs> which is not a compelling companion system mechanic. That is not something that you want to you want to build a a character around in terms of stats. You know so. That's something that I try and watch out for in, in, in you know, future companion designs. Like, if you have a character that's not a combat monster, what else do they add to the party? Like, you know, they, do they you know, give some advantage in dialogue? They provide other some sort of system boost? And usually, and I know this might cause some people to you know, tear their hair out when they hear this, but I always thought the Final Fantasy games, notably Final <laughs> Fantasy III, taught me that you can have a wide spectrum of character types and there's a way to make them each valuable with the system mechanics and each give them their own individual flavor at the same time. And that's what you want to shoot for when doing companion design, too. So you still have that spectrum of, hey, he's an interesting personality. I'd like to adventure with him. But at the same time, they're not dead weight. They're still actually adding something to your party. But you're, but you're able to make the choice among those companions about which ones you want to join your party. I don't know if that, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Like I, I don't end up taking him, you know, to the enclave or enclave or anything. But I, yep. I like, uh, I always make a point of recruiting him because he's so fun to interact with. Yeah. And then, and then this playthrough, I, I took him alone into the the mines, the Wanamingo mines, and let him mm-hmm. die there. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. the Wanamingos! Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. man, I hate yeah. those guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, my, my yeah. kind of like, like it's kind of like picking up a book. 
right? Because he is like this mythological figure in that his creation basically devastated all these communities around and just taking that opportunity to learn about him and then do that quest to cure jet addiction. Like mm-hmm. that, like that, like he seems to the purely story. And, and I, I made a point to seek him out specifically because of that. And if he, if he was a learning experience, it seems like you learn pretty quick because, you know, Planescape was right on the other side of that. And that is a really good example of what you're talking about. What I yeah, see. I think one of my one of my favorite parts about writing Myron was just if you have the high intelligence and the high science, arg- arguing arguing <laughs> him out of his own. Well, there's no way to cure this, and then you start then you start like presenting all the counter options, and then suddenly he realizes you're smarter than he is. And he's like, <laughs> "Hey, wait a minute, maybe maybe you're right about this." Like I I always love when players can do that that turnabout with someone who thinks that they're like they're like they're like the shit, and I think that's a very Fallouty thing to do. Like you know, with the master in Fallout One, when you can outline mm-hmm. why his plan is a complete disaster. I think yeah. was one of the best moments in gaming I've ever had. So, yeah, I'd be able to do that with Myron, and uh, and then um, I think when originally when I got the character concept, they uh, they just said, "Hey, he's just a really high science guy," <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> Well, rather than rather than rescue him from the crime family, maybe the crime family is treating him so well <laughs> that he's he's actually really having a good time, and otherwise, and also he's a despicable human being. <laughs> and then uh, I, I didn't want like an old science guy; I actually wanted like a kid because yeah. I thought that be, that would be more interesting. But uh, yeah, it, but Myron was fun to play around with. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> You, you you kind of keep saying, or not keep saying, it is a true thing. You came to uh, uh, Vault City and you know finished up. Can you tell me a little bit about a little bit about how it was when you got there, and then you know kind of, kind of what what you what what you did for that? Because if New Reno is our established favorite area, like Vault City is pretty close behind. Oh, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. That was the work of three different designers, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, again, uh, the, I hope the public can forgive me if I've got the references wrong. But mm-hmm. um, I think uh, Leonard Bjarski did a lot of the layout for Fault City, and it might have been Jason Anderson. It's, it was one of the other, one of the original three guys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Fergus, uh, our division director, took it over for a few months. And then once I finished up the new Reno stuff, uh, I got put onto Vault City. And then the basic core quest there was pretty much intact like hey find a way past the walls take the citizenship test mm-hmm. you know deal you know <laughs> with their with their very repressive repressive view mm-hmm. of the outside world and then find out more information about uh, to continue the quest so after that was all implemented and figuring out all the interactions with gecko which took forever like I, you know forgive me but the design for gecko like i yeah, there were so many quest flags that never seemed to click or work and trying to get that all fixed with vault city was was a huge pain in the ass and a drain on my time and i'm still frustrated about about (laughs) this day but overall so one one of the things that vault city clearly needed once i jumped in there was just more fun side quests so like i added a whole bunch to the outside and then like you know cool ways to use luck with that damaged auto dock if you wanted to fuck around Mm -hmm. with that or you know finding the little little doll or selling your you know if you're stupid you get sold into slavery <laughs> you know and then um and then all the different ways you could you could uh you could solve those quests and like smuggling the alcohol in and then you know trying to ask the nurse and the you know the, the downstairs vault out on a date but then like the date doesn't go so well so you try and find a way to slip <laughs> away because it's so terrible yeah. and then like finding all the what 
I, actually, but although I think finding all the water chips at the bottom of Vault City, I think was a joke that uh, the original Troika guys had put in there, which we thought was pretty funny. So we wanted to make sure that was still uh, that was still intact. But yeah, and also if you guys ever want any uh, fun advice, if uh, if you ever become like captain of the guard or you're able to sneak like Marcus the super mutant down into the depths of vault city and have him use that auto dock. Like you can get like a shit ton of ammo when you, when he runs the auto dock because like, you know, they find all this, you know, they find all these shells still embedded in his body over like over the last 200 years or so. So, um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to do, but uh, it's pretty gratifying if you can, if you can pull it off. There's like, there's like tons of little Easter eggs in there that were just fun to play around with. It, it's hard because of primarily because of uh, Lynette, were you responsible for Lynette? <laughs> Um, the, uh, Jason slash Leonard was the one who designed the character and also the look of the character. Um, and then after that, I did an asshole pass through her <laughs> and she is just well the done, biggest, sir. she is the biggest wench. Like, uh, and that was fun to write too, because like, she just does all this stuff to needle you. You're just like, ah, uh. but you know, if you put up with all of it. Then like you get that nice reward at the end, but yeah. being able to humiliate and break her and then this is, is also kind of fun too, just because she's so arrogant. You're just like, ugh. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Uh, but the original character, the original character concept came from the uh, the original Troika guys, and then I just had fun fleshing it out. I think um, also, and also to give um, credit where credit is due, uh, there was a designer. Uh, Mark O'Green, who actually used to be the head of what used to be Black Isle, it was called like Dragon Play. He actually did the core writing for the Fallout One heads, like mm-hmm. all the talking heads, and he also did a pass of all the dialogue for the Fallout Two uh, talking heads. So some of the dialogue that you see for those characters is stuff that he uh, added in. Although at the end, I also did a pass through it again, and then just put in you know stuff that I I really liked too. But I, my, my, my Mark was all okay with it, so that was cool. Yeah, something just on a, a personal level, something I've referred to a couple times on the show, um, was that encounter was really kind of formative for me because I, you know, at some point I had a realization that it was a boss fight. Like it felt like a boss fight to me, but entirely dialogue based, like the way that yep. she's kind of needling you, the way she's yep. trying to tempt you into doing the wrong thing. And that's just something that's, you know, I don't really have a question attached to that. It's just something that I've always appreciated um, about her and just, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, I, I could tell that there was some kind of intelligence behind um you know, she she's a studied form of bitchcraft. Like she is not, you know, it's not it's not a, a tornado through a junkyard forming a seven forty seven. In the yeah, you know, she, she was the, she was the example of uh, if, you know if you just had speech skills and wanted to pursue that path, she was she was like the prime example of where speech skills could shine mm-hmm. and clearly gave you an advantage in a like a diplomatic situation. Like yeah, she was sort of like the test the test uh, the sort of acid test for that. Also, um, and I don't know if you guys encountered this but uh she has mentats yeah. stuck to, stuck in her office and i intentionally put that there to show that she's a hypocrite and as much as she hates drugs coming in from the outside world she will gladly take mentats if she needs to mm-hmm. like to give her an intelligence boost so i wanted to make sure that that, that hypocrisy was also present in the environment around her too yeah mm-hmm. definitely that that is a yeah <laughs> Lynette. Um, so kind of talking about the, uh, the the importance of speech in the game that that's that's generally what I do in any of these games is try and play a talky talky stabby dude yeah um, <laughs> yeah I, I, I love I love those character builds yeah uh, so so you know just but there are so many other ways to go about it I mean notably the stupid runs which must have taken just a lot of 
resources. But I kind of want to ask you, like, what's your personal favorite way to go about it? And do you have like a way that you recommend people try to play? Um, I think that uh, spe- speech is always my favorite. Like, I always just bump up my intelligence as high as I can go and my charisma, and I max out all my, my uh, speech skills just because I want all the dialogue options. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the ability just to solve quests through talking. And I think that if you, if you haven't played Fallout with a character like that, you're really missing out. Mm-hmm. And you should probably leave dumb exper- the dumb experience for after you've gone through the game once just so you can see what, how, the other half li- <laughs> how the other half lives. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the a lot of the ways to solve various quests in Fallout Two with a dumb character is pretty amazing and funny. So <laughs> I I think the game does change pretty dramatically. Um, but yeah, usually no, I just go full on speech, and then I allow my combat monster companions to help me out if I need to. But uh, yeah, no, talking is the way to go for me. It, it just it turns these games into like a, into a book, into like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. And Gary and I, we always talk about being you know content hounds. The best reward yep. for playing well is to is to see more of uh, yep. of, a, of a thing and being able to read just more of this dialogue. That that is you know more important to me than seeing gibbs and stuff yeah, i'm i'm right there with you i totally agree um you, you spoke a little bit um earlier about uh the fan community um for fallout which is uh really enthusiastic and um you know they've kind of taken it upon themselves to do patches and restoration yep. efforts and, and the like um probably largely a result of the fallout bible um, that, you, that you did for a while, which kind of shed light on a lot of the, the inner workings. Um, is that something that you, uh, you know, as a designer, is that something that you kind of appreciate and trust them to do that? Do you just want, you know, the, the pieces are there, play with them? Or is there any part of it that, you know, do you feel like they're not, you know, maybe like for lack of a better phrase, like getting it right? Um, I love seeing all the restoration mods. I love just seeing any modding work done on not just Fallout, but just about any game out there because I think that seeing people's system design and sort of content design perspectives on the setting and the cool things they do with it, I think just makes the entire experience richer. Like when we were doing um, Old World Blues, we were able to go through all the mods that people had created for New Vegas and look, and we're able to look at those to see what people were missing about the, you know, the core game experience, and be able to incorporate elements of that into it. And a lot of that stuff we wouldn't realize was so important to people had we not seen those mods. Mm-hmm. Nor would we, would we have been able to see all the amazing things that people could do with the mods that we had never even considered. Like, I mean, it's like having like you know a hundred, you know, a thousand plus designers suddenly let loose on the scripting and finding all sorts of fun things that you and your team of like, you know, 50 or 60 would never have had time or the, you know, perspective to realize you could do that. And to see those things come out from a, you know, just from the community has been, you know, pretty awesome. Um, the, uh, and also I think the, the way people take certain sections of the fallout world and just develop it, uh, has been also kind of interesting too. The, uh, I ran into a um, uh, a game journalist at the time. His name was uh, Christopher Means uh, at an Austin game developers conference, and he mentioned uh, that he was doing this Fallout mod that took place in Texas. Which, of course, you know, I I immediately respond to because I think that <laughs> Texas would be a great place for a Fallout game. Yeah. So then, like he yeah, and, and like most recently, he started up this. Um, 
this mod called, I believe it's called Fallout Lone Star, and it takes place like in the Texas Commonwealth, and like he he recruited a bunch of people, you know, across the world to help out with it. Uh, he got like uh, one of the writers for the Banner Saga, like uh, Drew McGee, to, mm-hmm. to pitch in for it, and he's got a, he's a team, a team he's assembling, and he's got all the design docs laid out, and he's building the world, he got the character concepts, and seeing and seeing an energy like that, that you know Fallout was able to spark in somebody is just really morale boosting. From you know my perspective, so I'm like, wow, this is you know, this is actually encouraging people to you know go out and create more entertainment themselves, you know, using those tools. So seeing that is just is just really exciting to see. Yeah, and this isn't so much um, it's a, it's kind of a question, but the so one of the things you mentioned, we've talked about old world blues a few times, uh, just because I feel like in New Vegas, you know, we've talked about it before and kind of said that Fallout Three is kind of the sequel to Fallout One, and, and New Vegas is kind of the sequel to Fallout Two. Um, and old, old World Blues kind of captures a lot of the some of the goofier elements of it. Um, one of the things I just want to make, you know, see if it is my imagination, um, is that Old World Blues seems like it took a lot of touchstones from some content that was cut um, from from uh, Fallout Two. Specifically in this playthrough, I was noticing kind of shades of what I've read about the EPA. Um, a little right. bit in like the, kind of the sink and everything. Is that my imagination, or is that something? No, that- you are correct. Uh, for example, the talking toaster idea did come from a you know super intelligent toaster you you'd find in the epa which of which of which then again was you know taken from you know red dwarf so like <laughs> there, 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 there there's a chain of references there a lot of the stuff in old world blues um was intended to sort of shed some more historical light on the fallout universe but to be honest as we were developing it we discovered there was a lot of lore stuff that we couldn't go into so it wasn't quite as broad as we had intended like we wanted more like you know power armor variations and um you know more looking into what vault tech was all about but uh uh, that was considered a little bit too sensitive to the core of Fallout, so we 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 ended up dealing with a lot, with a lot of periphery stuff. Um, but things like you know, hey, here's how you know brain bots are you know the are are, are constructed. You know, here's you know, um, you know how certain uh, you know old pre-war you know constructions were done. You know, here's all the source of all the technology and their DLCs in New Vegas, and um, so that was interesting to do. Although a lot of the stuff for Old World Blues actually was referencing stuff that we'd done for the first iteration of Van Buren. Um, and like the things like the Boulder Dome, you know, was supposed to have a large number of, uh, you know, disembodied, you know, scientist brains. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a goofy location, but it was supposed to be like a, a central science area. And the actual, the, the big empty was supposed to be like this automated military boot camp you could find in Van Buren that was like run by crazy Mr. Handys that would put you through all your paces <laughs> but uh, so, the, so the end result in Old World Blues is a lot different but it did def- definitely have its foundation in, uh, in some Fallout 2 references and the Van Buren uh, game and pen and paper game so when you were approaching you know Fallout 2 and then this you know content for Fallout New Vegas you know so, you know, so much later was there or is there some kind of Bible, for lack of a better slash not already used term of like commandments and like thou shalt not approach this because fallout you know so something that with something that you know was you know just kind of held back in reserve or a rule that you couldn't break um i think a lot of the reason we were on the west coast of the united states and new vegas was just to give the east coast more breathing room to sort of design 
as it will without us without us like you know crossing the streams as it were right. um so i think that was part of our mandate for even having sort of like more a more california a california slash you know mojave based experience mm-hmm. uh, for new vegas so that that was one thing um Generally, we always had to be careful of elements and guarding some of the core factions, like how you treat the Brotherhood of Steel um, was, a, was a big one. You know how you handle power armor, like sort of sort of the core Fallout stuff. We had to be careful about how we develop some of those aspects. But but Bethesda was always very open to discussing those things, and uh, we usually had a pretty strong case for why we might want to develop a faction a certain way that they they were usually you know quite on board with and if they and if for whatever reason they weren't they usually had a pretty good reason as to why so that yeah. was a it was a pretty good working relationship but um i think it's because we just uh we we, we had our studio had been so focused on the West Coast at Black Isle for so long that a lot of our concepts didn't really overlap too much with what they'd done in Fallout 3 or might intend for the future, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, kind of wrapping up just a little bit. So you talked a little bit about companion design being something you took from from Fallout 2 and kind of having that unified voice. Um, is there anything else that you feel like you you know, really carried forward um, with it? Because you've been, you know, been real prolific. You have a lot of uh, projects in the hopper right now. Um, you know this wave of Kickstarter RPGs. Um, you know, thing like what? What are? What is the? What are the single? The single biggest lesson that you've taken from from Fallout Two? Fallout Two. I think the biggest lesson was if you give the player the ability to create a certain type of character, make sure that you honor the player's character build. And what I mean by that is if you allow a character to dump 500 points into speech, mm-hmm. make sure that they have an experience that's very cool and is appropriate for a speech-based character. And the same thing is true as if you're a stupid combat monster, if you're a sneaky thief who no one ever sees. If you're allowing the players to create a character like that with a rule set, then make sure that you're designing content that supports that experience. And it may sound like a very simple thing to say, but sometimes there are games that will allow you to sort of like design yourself into a hole with your character Mm -hmm. where you won't end up doing anything cool at all because you didn't make the right type of character for the game. And I think that's a design flaw that no good game designer should ever fall into. Damn, that's tremendous. I mean, that that, that just sounds like respect the player's time and respect their choices. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, something um, a game that I that we've done for the show that I very dearly love um, is uh, Bloodlines, uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Bloodlines. and that has um, you know, for eighty, per- it's frustrating because for eighty percent of the game, it, that's true, and then you get to the end, and all of a sudden, you know, if you're playing a talky, hacky character, you run out of things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing like boss fights in Human Revolution, things like that. You know, where I, I agree with that. That's something that we we pointed out several times yeah. in games where um, where where it succeeds and where you know it's kind of fallen down. And I'm not to, not to disparage anybody <laughs> who made those games. Like I like both those games a whole lot. You know, but that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, and contrast that with you know Fallout Two with the Enclave, where you can get through it without killing everybody. Like you know the the, the Enclave doesn't have to be a combat dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, although uh, I do have one sticking point about that, I do think that speech characters get robbed in the Enclave. I feel like even though you're allowed to recruit some of the Enclave soldiers there at the end, it still mm-hmm. does reduce it to a fight fest with uh, with Horrigan um, at the end, which which disappointed me a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though there's even though there's other ways to sort of like 
get through the rig for different character builds, I still felt that speech got a little bit of a short end of the stick there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah especially with, uh, with the president, right? Yeah. Just that there's no way to, uh, to sway him. I agree. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So just, you know, again, by way of wrap up, you know, this is something that we like to ask, you know, is there anything that you're playing right now that you're currently just like really jazzed about? Well, let's see. Uh, I have been playing a few things. Uh, I have played uh, The Wolf uh, Among Us. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I checked out the first episode for that. Uh, and I was really enjoying it because I'm a big, uh, I've, you know, I, I, I've read the, a good chunk of the Fables comics and seeing that as a video game, especially with Telltale, seemed like a really good fit. Um, obviously, only, only the first episode's out, so I checked that out. Um, what else have I been playing? Uh, I've been playing a lot of the Wasteland 2 beta, um, mm-hmm. and even though I've had areas that uh, that I've laid out for Wasteland 2, being able to play the other areas and then being able to explore the Wasteland has been a lot of fun. I didn't realize exactly how much I missed old school role playing until mm-hmm. <laughs> until I kicked that up, and they and the same thing with Shadowrun Returns when I kicked it on, you know, started playing that too. Mm-hmm. Like having that sort of like isometric old school feel was was pretty sweet. Um, and uh, I was also checking out uh, Papers Please. I don't know if you guys mm. have heard of it, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I said like uh, yeah. So I was checking that out too, and uh, I was I, I was strangely entertained by it, even though I'm not sure I was supposed to be entertained by it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, no, I was I was having a blast with that too. But uh, yeah, no. Overall, those are some of the things that I've been uh, I've been playing, and uh, you're able to to sort of like to take cool design elements from each one and sort of appreciate for what, appreciate them for what they are. Yeah, just to, and real quick, talking about old school role playing games. While I have you on mic, I'd be remiss <laughs> if I you know, I play uh, do some tabletop gaming myself. Do you, do uh, the characters that you like to play in in D anD D? Do they follow kind of your follow philosophy? Do you kind of try to play talky characters, or what's your what's your D anD D build? No. Uh, so what I do is I usually spend two or three sessions gauging the GM <laughs> because there are certain GMs that are cool with role playing. Some of them are just you know like big tactical monsters where every adventure is a big sort of like big fight sequence or big encounter sequence, and all and all that stuff is fine. It's just that you have to make sure you know that when building the character going in and then adjust the character concept to fit that. Mm-hmm. If given the choice, uh, I think the, the most favorite character um, I've been doing is I created um, – I, I was actually playing one of the companions for the new Torment game in some Numenera pen and paper games. And he <laughs> – uh, I wouldn't say he's a talking character, but basically uh, the fact that – there's, he's just basically a walking series of impulses and doesn't, doesn't give much thought to the thing that happens next. It's been actually a really entertaining gaming experience for me because I find that it actually cuts through a lot of the bullshit when it comes to the rest of the party trying to plan to attack a certain thing or how to approach a certain location. I just charge right in and I will let the chips fall as they may. And uh, that playing around with a character concept like that that supports that I think has been a lot of fun too. So it's been kind of you know me stretching my legs with, uh, with new ways of uh, role-playing. Although I, I do like talking and trying to outwit opponents, but I usually find that stuff just always goes to shit within you know 20 seconds of the actual encounter. So yeah. I feel like yeah, there's only so much preparation you can do. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, yeah no, this has for, been fantastic. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Um, well, guys, thank, really thanks so that. much for thanks so much for inviting me. I was I was really flattered you guys asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm absolutely. Um, and so, if if people are listening, um, the the next thing coming out, I believe, is going to be the full Wasteland Two, which uh, which you contributed to. 
Correct. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, again, spiritual successor to the first wasteland, and that's the the game that sort of gave Fallout its you know genesis. So you know, it's, it's uh, and Wasteland Two certainly it, it's uh, from what I played, I'm having a great time with it. And I'm sure people will too. Yeah. Yeah. And I am awaiting uh, the the new torment with uh, bated breath. So I do not think you'll be disappointed. It uh, it has a lot in common with the first game, and we've got an incredible set of developers and writers all working on it. So I'm I'm I think uh, people will be pretty impressed. Yeah, this is this is a weird. I would have never just looking at the concept for Kickstarter. Never would have thought that it would like I, pick up this golden age for. The I love I love Kickstarter just for that reason. Like you know, if you don't you don't have to make a multi a multi multi million dollar console title to be successful. Yeah. Just figure out who your audience is. Like explain what explain what your parameters are ask them for support as opposed to a publisher and like don't get me wrong like there's lots of benefits of working with publishers but it's a lot easier having a discussion with like with like you guys about why doing a fallout style or a torment style game you know would be something that you'd want to see versus trying to explain that you know to someone who might be you know several steps removed from that game is you know that's a much different process and one's a lot more fun than the other yeah from looking at it from uh, from the outside, kind of this wave. Um, since I, you know, uh, I'm just a fan of these things. Like I was, the sense of relief when Shadowrun Returns came out and was good. Oh yeah, <laughs> I understand there are different people working on all these, but that was kind of the first big Kickstarter thing yeah. to come out. Like- and I'm like, this is great. Like, like every. Yeah, good times ahead. You know, it's a little bit of an unknown, uh, unknown quantity, um, and I, you know, there's always the fear um, that things will, uh, you know, just kind of get, you know, not come out and just kind of get delayed forever. And then this came out. You know, yeah, and that, um, was, that was good to see. And then, like, there, then there, plus, there's so many fun new ideas that are just getting realized. And not only are like old franchises being resurrected, um, and you know, in, in great ways, like with Shadowrun, but like you know, you know, Cards Against Humanity. Like you mm-hmm. know, please, like I, you know, almost all my friends play that at one time or another, and they have a great time with it. And that would have been something that you know <laughs> would have been a very hard sell with most traditional, you know, card game companies and board game companies. You know, that 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 concept by itself. But then you throw a starter into it and people like respond and now we have a brand new fun and form of entertainment out there and like mm-hmm. just just seeing elements like that has just been really really encouraging so yeah, yeah. and then you know i obviously got you know god knows how many hours i waste with ftl yeah but, like, you know, I, I love that game and i'm just <laughs> like you know i'm just glad that there's there's an option for people that want to publish styles of games like this mm-hmm. because you know it, it's it's just been very gratifying and selfishly it makes me happy so that's the important thing <laughs> <laughs> fantastic all right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Have a uh, have a great night. Thank you again. Yes. For, well, Gary for... and Cole, again, thank you very much for having me on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was it was you know it's a pleasure to to sort of walk down memory lane with Fallout too. So thank you very much for the questions. Yeah. The uh, oh. the episode will be out uh, this this Thursday. We'll probably shoot you a line uh, to notify you when it's up, so okay. you can make sure we didn't do any incriminating edit- yeah, editing or whatever. Edit. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> we like uh, we did talk about New Reno, so if we wanted to. <laughs> Splice things up. <laughs> you just, just beep, you should, like just beep the entire podcast. <laughs> as I was making that joke, I realized I was the one that was talking about fluffing. So all I could do is edit it to make me <laughs> <laughs> to make you sound like the monster. Yeah. Uh, and then just have you call me monster over and over <laughs> when you say combat monster. <laughs> oh man. And, well, guys, I better get back to the uh, the old grind here, but uh, it was a pleasure to actually sort of break away from the, the grind <laughs> of the day and actually have a conversation about fun, fun game stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, well, man. Um, yeah, anytime. Like, if we end <laughs> up um, you know doing anything else you're involved in, do you mind if we drop you a line? You absolutely may. It would be my pleasure to be to help out however I can. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Well, all right, guys. All right. Bye. Have yeah. a good night. So yeah, that was uh, that was our interview with Chris. Yeah, uh, I am still riding high from that. He is a very nice man. Yeah, what a what a sweetheart. Yeah, what a sweetheart. Um, the yeah, that was really really fun. And and I was as you, as you the audience may listen <laughs> and judge how goony I came off of, but I was a little <laughs> bit moon eyed about about the whole thing. Yeah, as you know, again, two years of podcasting. <laughs> reference how many times i dropped that guy's name yeah (laughs) has underlined a a big deal like having being you know doing the show and then introducing uh being able to interview ron who kind of like you know designed a lot of my childhood and then chris who did a lot of my kind of like adulthood Mm -hmm. you know it's uh it's pretty great yeah so good job us (laughs) way to go (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, and and thank you chris but uh also important are your responses most certainly uh, uh, follow to you now we're not gonna say more important yep <laughs> but also important <laughs> yes also things that are said aloud yes <laughs> um yeah so uh, we got some more responses mm-hmm. from uh from the last episode which is good yeah and uh uh cool why don't you start us off with christopher yeah so some of these are pretty lengthy um i didn't ed- edit them as much because i figured hey you know it's fallout 2 it's a big game so yep. uh you know if if i need to take a uh, take a breather in the middle of one i will tag you in gary but i do yep. not expect that come up with a code phrase so what's our safe word <laughs> i b- banana yeah all right uh so, so so <laughs> banana man yes yeah. uh so christopher via contact says so fallout 2 is one of my favorite games of all time i remember quote renting it from a library when i was in high school right around the time when it came out after i first began it i decided that it was worth it to fake sick <laughs> fake being sick for a week so i could stay home and do nothing but play it uh, it was my first CRPG of the, uh, of this sort. I mean, I remember playing Ultima, but it was never anything like Fallout 2. I must say, I disagree with Cole's apparent dislike of the combat system in this one. It's easily my favorite. Sure, Jagged Alliance is probably better, but I still have a love for it. I definitely prefer turn-based over anything else. Of course, I think I'm biased since I stink at, uh, since I stink at combat and real-time nonsense. Um, and the music is phenomenal. Uh, it's not the sort I'd listen to outside of the game, but in-game, I love the ambiance of it. And while the story is probably not as consistent as Fallout, God, I still love this game more than the first one. It was just more Fallout. And I'm a sucker for random references. And if Cole ever decides to replay it down the line, I know he has quite the backlog, so who knows, definitely do it with a restoration patch. I'm curious, though. Cole, do you really not like the turn-based combat? <laughs> I haven't read this before. This is not me. Yeah. And I didn't write this in her pseudonym, and I did not read it before. Yeah. So. I'm curious, though. Cole, do you really not like the turn-based combat? Or was it just the deadline? I can imagine myself getting annoyed at it uh, if I was trying to get through it quickly. In general, CRPGs are best played slowly. I think I'm biased since this ended up being my first of this sort of game. I ended up preferring it to real time. And I would love to, and I would kill to have Planescape Tormat. Uh, torment with a combat similar to fallout then again anything differing from the current from its current combat would be an improvement it's a shame that they improved the story and character development but went backwards on combat anyways i love 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 fallout 2 it was the first of this sort of game that i ever played and i never looked back and while i know fallout will never go back to this style it does make me look forward to wasteland 2 love me some isometric goodness 
Thanks, Christopher. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for putting me on blast. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely. Uh, so, I, so you know, like most instances, I hope that I am not misunderstood. Um, I definitely like the combat. I just think I just saw ways for it to improve, um, specifically as regards like turning it into you know uh, squad based kind of thing. Like I would have loved for this to be like a you know like uh, you know like a tactical uh, kind of thing. Just really, it's the AI. Um, there, you know, there was a huge opportunity to make it, uh, to, you know, to make your companions really useful, um, and just kind of like doing a thing and waiting and waiting and waiting, uh, kind of got under my skin a little bit. That said, it's not that I disliked it. Um, so I hope that it didn't come across that way. Yeah. And far be it for me to defend Cole in anything, but Mm -hmm. for the record, Cole loves JRPGs. Like he's not against turn-based combat in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, and, and this, I, I thought about this after we recorded, um, you know, the, combat controls which you didn't you know didn't come to until partway through the game Mm -hmm. that's probably you know just a relic of the fact that manuals were part of the experience at this time so you would have known that if you would have read the manual Mm -hmm. when it came out that's not the case now and it wouldn't have solved the problem but as much as like i you know i love fallout 2 like i also wish you can control your companions Mm -hmm. you know i would i would have liked that yeah yeah um if you turn the the speed all the way up like it's not like the waiting didn't bother me so much, yeah, but and, just and, being able to make them not shoot me in the back, <laughs> yeah, would have been nice. That's a that, that, that's the big thing. Um, and I and I and I figured that out. You know, like about maybe, I think around the den, I uh, I cranked up the combat speed, um, just because mm-hmm. I knew it wouldn't affect you know my ability to make decisions or anything. And you know, as long as you're paying attention, you can see, you know. <laughs> what happens to who and whether or not that pile of skeletons is, you know, contains a <laughs> companion a skeleton, or not? You know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew the skeleton. Yeah. The last four years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so that was the only downside I could foresee to combat speed. I was like, ah, I just need to pay attention, which you know that's that, that that's fine. Um, and the combat, like, I probably did equally as much combat before uh, getting the uh, getting the combat controls as after, and it was a marked improvement. But uh, but still, you know, just that uh, recognizing a way to improve this that would make it more like the kind of game that I wanted to play, I- while still appreciating, you know, the game that it was. I wish we would have thought to ask that to Chris, like if there was ever a thought given to that, because it's definitely an intentional thing that the series has done the whole, the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you can't like stack companions in the, uh, in the newer games, you've never been able to get direct control of them. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's something that is a philosophical, like has a philosophical base or, you know, if it's just a different preference. Yeah. Um, kind of it. I, I, you know, this, this, this will sound, this is a weird way to say it, but I figured that decision was probably above his pay grade. It's, probably, it's possible that it yeah. went, yeah. yeah Maybe. Just, I mean, who, you know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows how, how, how important that is? Yeah. Or, like, not how important, but, uh, you yeah. know, like, where, what level. Yeah, like how integral so, it yeah. is to the to the yeah. core of the Fallout experience. So, yeah. If I, if I can go back and pretend that I had said, alas, poor Sulik, I knew him well <laughs> at that, when I made that, that joke. I wish I had said that. So, oh, man. if everyone can go and rewind that and replace <laughs> that in my mind with the more clever comment, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, thank you, Christopher. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, and I, I also just talking about the combat real quick. I also think it falls down the less cover there is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the the times you're doing this in a big open area, it's essentially like JRPG combat, mm-hmm. but where you can't control your companions, which is yeah. frustrating. When just two you know people standing in a field facing each other and shooting each other, like that's not even that fun for me. It's, and it's like Final that White Stripes video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and that's you know that's 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 not good for anybody. Um, <laughs> the um, the when there's cover and everything, that's where I think the the cover the combat kind of comes alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam yeah. says via contact. 
I want to talk to you about my experience with Western, experiences with Western RPGs as I look through the lens of Fallout 2 Fall Harder. <laughs> I have a rut that I fall into when playing Western RPGs, most notably of the Bethesda and Obsidian variety, but even with games like Deus Ex. My main issue is that for all the incredible goodwill that the game builds up, they always devolve into list simulators. Mm. I started Fallout 2 about a year ago with an iron will, determined that I would actually roleplay this RPG, and I did good for a while. I did my best to keep my humanity and help the people of this wasteland, and was crushed to see, to see that I couldn't save the ghost farm in time. I did good up until New Reno, and then this beast of a game could not be held back any longer. <laughs> I did it all. I saved scummed my strength four female waif into being the heavyweight champion, <laughs> thanks critical hits to the head. I went nuts, killing, collecting, selling, and managing my weapons collections. My companions became nothing more than walking inventories at that point. I got every weapon I can get my hands on, cleaned out the weapons merchant, and then killed him for his weapon. <laughs> I became a sociopath whose only concern was managing my ever-growing list of weapons, chems, and caps. It was in New Reno that I ran out of steam. I would like to think that it was because I realized the monster I had become, but really, I just grew weary of the inventory, endlessly shuffling around weapons and items between companions, trying to find containers to store excess goods, and generally obsessing over things that didn't contribute to what makes the game great. I got swallowed by the metagame, as I have with all of my previous Fallout experiences. I truly love games that offer as much depth and freedom in the narrative as Fallout does, but there is something about games like this where inventory, bar inventory bartering, and carry weight are central mechanics that cause me to lose focus of the real game in favor of min-maxing for meaningless rewards. And when I spend more time managing my inventory than I do playing the game, I inevitably give up on it, which is a shame on a game as good as this. Yeah. Awesome letter. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that, that speaks to me. You know, I play, you know, when, I, when I'm playing PC games, I have my whiteboard right to the left of me, you know, mm -hmm. and so like the, the notion to make lists and, you know, keep track of things and, you know, take pleasure and crossing them off. I totally understand that to a certain extent. I want to say, like, play the game however it makes you happy. But it sounds like this didn't make you happy. <laughs> Um, yeah. and you know, fallout to me has always kind of like, I spend more of my time managing inventory, like even in the more recent ones as well. And it was true of, you know, fallout one and, and, and this one as well, that you spend a lot of time looking at that screen and it, you know, this game is not optimized for that at all. I, you know, I think that it's inventory, uh, control, you know, it's management system is, is a weak spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I would argue though, as well at this point, that's something that, they were still, that's kind of a, a mark of the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, for sure. With Fallout specifically. But I would say with the newer ones, even though the inventory system is a little bit more seamless, um, they add uh, weapon degradation. Yep. So, like, they add more inventory management. And, like, mm -hmm. I can see what they're going for there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a risk reward. You know, some of my favorite uh, modern Fallout moments are finding a really valuable piece of loot and having to decide what. I can, you know, give up in order to get back to town right. because I'm hurt and outnumbered. Yeah. Like that is, that creates like a very genuine dramatic situation mm -hmm. for me that I, that I go for, yeah. um, in kind of a big way. But oftentimes you are just spending time looking at that screen yeah. and, uh, and I don't, I don't disagree. Like I don't, I don't love it. Um, but it scratches yeah. an itch that the, like there, it comes up with, when it comes up, it's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. Like when it works for me, it, and then I guess that even happens in fallout Two, where yeah. like, I'll run into something. that's like, man, I really want this. Um, but can I make it back because I'm hurt, mm -hmm. you know, and it happens more in the early game than the later game. But, yeah. um, that's one of the things in uh, new Vegas, they eventually released a perk that um, allows you to fast travel when you're overburdened. Oh, wow. and like, it, it kind of like, it's easier, but it, 
ruins that that aspect. Like kind of like if you don't want that and you just want to take everything, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of turn it on and off. Like yeah. I almost feel like that should be a toggle at the beginning of the game. Oh like, yeah, do, yeah. Do you want to play with this or no? Yeah, kind, of, kind of like uh, is, is hardcore hardcore that way, or can you turn that off? Um, hardcore, you can turn off. Yeah. But once you once you turn it on, I think it stays on. Okay. Um, and then it gives the big difference is it gives um, ammo weight. Yeah. Which makes a huge difference because yeah. in the modern fallouts, ammo is money. Like mm-hmm. you just anything you have extra trade in your miles of combat shotguns for miles of bullets, and mm-hmm. you're sitting pretty. Yeah. Um, but the, I never go crazy like I, the sociopathy angle of this letter <laughs> um that i i'm not sure what brings that on i think that it does get boring eventually to kind of manage the list and i i would agree with you there mm-hmm. um i don't necessarily see a correlation between kind of going crazy and then uh and then doing that yeah so i can usually stick with uh you know kind of my play philosophy through the whole game yeah and you know in a 40 hour game 40 plus hour game i don't think you can be blamed for being a content hound because yeah. like how much of this is dependent on like oh i'll come back for this later and you know in the next 40 hours that i have to dedicate to playing this game yeah <laughs> so you know like taking your taking your waif into the boxing ring you know if you have a way to well, do they, it and yeah, you want to see that's that stuff one thing. but yeah. then like they're doing like killing everyone to take their weapons and stuff yeah you know like that's a different thing like that's that's technically content but mm-hmm. it's not really meaningful content right like, that seems like two different things. Like, one is doing a side quest that you're not spec'd for, which, like, the game allows you to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have no problem with that. And you can also drug up for it yeah, as well. Yeah, and you, you can get the plate, the, like, the plate gloves and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of ways to do that as a non... I was not a punchy character. I, I had strength four, mm-hmm. and I, I became a heavyweight champion. Um, but the, uh, the just wanting to kill everybody and, and get all of the weapons and stuff, like, feels like... I don't understand necessarily the relation between that kicking in and then the, the inventory management. Mm-hmm thing other than just the fact that at that point you have more inventory yeah trying to trying to maximize or optimize yeah i the other thing too is like i'm so conditioned by western rpgs that i um am so am very conservative with my items mm-hmm. uh, and i started that a uh, dishonored run through and i will end up with so much of everything in the, the end of that like i'm very conservative and just manage like you know it just comes really natural to me at this point mm-hmm. you know just to be very con- uh you know, take very few liberties with items that I end up with just kind of a wealth of, of things yeah. earlier than I think is probably average on the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never end up getting that impulse to like, there's never a need for it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're <laughs> definitely right about that. I understand the systems thing. Like conversely in a, a different game, like it was one of the big things that's made me not want to pick up mass effect again is mm-hmm. how shitty the inventory system is like a bad yeah. inventory system. You're going to spend a lot of time, in inventory and it makes you kind of yearn for the final fantasy like this is a list of things it doesn't matter how many of them you have yeah you know uh, you know and for, for forever the mass effect apologists they they very quickly ditch that which is nice but yeah yeah well it's still it's still after 30 hours of game yeah like, they I know. It the second one yeah so it, it won't get ditched in this experience mm-hmm. but it's good that they fixed it it's yep. good that they're improving that they learn yeah. Yep. So continuing on to Jared, who writes in via contact, I want to write again uh, to share some more disjointed fallout to miscellany. Miscellany? Miscellany? Miscellany-ary. Yeah. I always thought it was miscellany but there's no R in there. Yeah. I, I think he spelled it correctly. I mean, yeah. I, I always say miscellany, but, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've been copsied. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a noun for miscellaneous, so it's yes. probably uh, miscellany. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if that's... 
Uh, somebody correct us. Yeah, yeah. I'll put, <laughs> I'll put, a, it, I'll sure. put a marker here and put in the uh, put in the dictionary.com. Miscellany. Yeah, I get text-to-speech to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, on the Gecko ending, it's bugged in the vanilla game. If you optimize the power plant and deliver the economic data from Gordon or the brain to McClure, you're supposed to get an ending where the ghouls uh, uh, and the Vault City populace overcome their prejudices to work side-by-side side and create a better future. Uh, the ending where Gecko is enslaved happens if you optimize the plant but don't deliver the economic data. This is fixed in an unofficial patch, though I'm not sure if I like the fix better. On one hand, I always enjoy making a positive difference in a harsh, unforgiving world. On the other, uh, that the citizens of Vault City would overcome their dogmatic beliefs just like that seems a bit of a stretch. Moving on, I want to tell you about why Jinxed is such an amazing trait. So, here I was, in a fight with some raiders. By my side were Vic and Sulik. Vic was getting hammered on by the raiders, had three points left. I tried to get close to him so I could stimpack him back from the precipice of death, but I didn't have enough AP. It was time for the raiders to take their turns, and I was sure Vic was a goner. But then, every one of the raiders rolled critical failures, their weapons slipping out of their hands in an astounding streak of good, bad fortune (laughs) uh, that allowed Vic to live another day. The next thing I want to talk about is the talking death claws and Goris. Um, I can't say uh, it doesn't bum me out that they're all dead canonically, as I quite like Goris, and I enjoy uh, and I enjoy it when a party member has a personal vendetta to settle against the final boss. I was disappointed when I had to make him sit out of the fight with Horrigan, as he would have gotten Swiss cheesed by the crossfire of turrets and heavy weapons. Um, and imagining raiders shitting themselves as uh, mm. as he throws off his cloak never gets old. Uh, he's not the most powerful companion, though he can use a power fist if you use S-Fall. I think that's a mod. Enable mm-hmm. full party control and put yeah. it in one of his quick slots. Hmm? Full party control, S-Fall. I, we were wondering last episode whether someone modded in Oh full yeah, power party control looks like they have. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, mm-hmm. And put it in one of his quick slots, uh, despite the fact that it doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, but he might be one of my favorite companions in the game. Yeah, uh, he has claw in the name. You're giving him a fist. What? Yeah, <laughs> death fist. <laughs> death fist. Um, I can understand why the decision was made to get rid of intelligent death claws and other talking animals, as they're silly, even by Fallout Two standards. Uh, I would have loved meeting Goris in New Vegas as an old wizen scholar, all the same. One last thing, I liked Cole's observations about how going to Chinatown was a trope of PC RPGs from the late 90s and early 2000s, um, but don't have anything to add to it. I just found it interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, Goris would have fit in, uh, I wonder, Old World Blues. Like, mm-hmm. They could have put a talking death claw there. Yeah. I mean, I guess if there wasn't like a moratorium on him, but yeah. if, uh, if there was any fondness, he would have fit in there. Mm-hmm. Fit in there, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jinx, the, my run I've done through Fallout 2, my punch everyone in the balls until they die <laughs> run, which you can, which you can do, uh, cause I am, uh, immature and because I just wanted to see if you can do it. Um, the way I did it was taking extremely high luck and jinxed. Yeah. That, um, would, be, that would be, if I was going to do a gimmick run, it would be uh 10 luck and jinxed. It's really um, fun. Yeah. Like everyone just, you know, people are constantly, and they don't just drop guns. They can break limbs. <laughs> on critical failure so people are constantly like breaking their arms trying to shoot you yeah <laughs> like your companions are fucked like the trick to a jinx run is you don't i don't take people with me um, that, cause, like, i'm a loader dotty a rebel <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I, um, I'm, I'm happy that there's a full party control mod that might be uh i don't know years down the line <laughs> yeah with the restoration patch and yeah. just like okay this is the 
this is the last time. For, you know, <laughs> not that I mean, like I, I could see every day. You know, I've played this a bunch of times. I always, I never feel like playing it again right after I finish it, mm-hmm. but I always end up coming back. Yeah. Um. So the uh, I'll I'll check out that full party mod and the uh, when I do the new updated content restoration patch yeah. in a couple of years. Um. I'll probably end up rolling around on torment again. <laughs> um, it's actually like out of those games. Like I feel like now that I know the degree to which. Uh, Chris did it. I need to actually get to Mask of the Betrayer. Yeah. Um, because it's I you know, I'm still working slowly working my way through Neverwinter Nights one vanilla campaign with my buddy. Yeah. Um, and it's like we're having fun, but it's going slow. And uh I just have wanna beat the first one for some reason before I get to the second one. Mm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um and finally to round us out, Paul says via contact. Playing Fallout 2 has been one of my gaming goals for a long time. I recognize all the things that make it great, but the Fallout games in particular make me anxious about missing out on content. In prior attempts to play the game, I would spend hours creating a generalist character and then stop playing once I left or once I felt I wasn't specced for a certain situation. Hearing the greatest hits on your podcast helped me tone down the anxiety, and I recently made it to Vault City on my un- unarmed character, Punch Man. <laughs> <laughs> and you can name him Punchy um, yeah. later when he becomes a boxer. Yeah. Um, thanks for spoiling the game for me. Not really. Or no, really. <laughs> There's supposed to be a common there. And thanks for playing the game. No, really. Oh, yeah. he is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> there um, we go. I, for some reason, I added sarcasm to the, the first part, even though there wasn't supposed to be, even though it was invalidated right by them. Yeah. I understand words. Uh-huh. Um, yes. <laughs> One of my favorite moments that I don't think you mentioned occurs when you offer to help the head warrior of Sulek's tribe. After asking you to travel through a cave in danger of collapsing, you get the option to say something along the lines of, um, oh, wait. I just remembered I have to save my tribe. Got to run. <laughs> um, I don't remember the head, the head of Silix tribe. Part of, uh, the two things I'm thinking of is like one, um, either that's from cut content because mm-hmm. Silix tribe is in um, in the restoration patch. Okay. Or he's referring, maybe it's something you can say to Smiley mm. because you have to do Smiley to get Silix out. Yeah. He's referring to one of those two things. Yeah. Um, probably, probably the cut content. Yeah. I guess. That sounds uh, like, like, like something Guybrush would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man, it is really funny the idea of like that hurry up and waitness. Like you are, uh, you know, on this critical mission and you're fucking off and fluffing and doing yeah. all this nonsense, <laughs> yeah. and being able to be like, oh shit, everybody's in danger. <laughs> Gotta run. Like, look you, at the time. You just spend a bunch of time, you know, playing blackjack, and then you go out and go to sleep, and Hanukkah <laughs> uh, gives you a, you know, a nightmare of his desiccated, you know, <laughs> near corpse. <laughs> oh man, the jerky Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hanukkah jerky. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I had a lot of fun playing and talking about Fallout too. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a really good. Uh, this is one of my favorite double episodes mm-hmm. we've done. So uh, between you know between the interview and and just kind of everything yeah. together, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. So thank you everybody for writing in. Um, we yeah. really appreciate you know especially these you know well if, if we had a bunch of responses the essay length probably would have been edited down but you've all been very thoughtful with that and uh it's 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 been it's been great so thanks for playing along with us and you know especially to paul anytime we can help uh you know <laughs> eliminate anxiety as opposed to contribute to it that's yeah. pretty cool too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the, the, any anxiety that you lose just gets sucked into coal he's, he's a vampire for it so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um oh man yeah. it's, it's like how all, all electrons flow into the earth i am the ground for your anxiety for, for which anxiety just flows yeah mm-hmm. oh man um 
Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's been been super fun. What are we uh, What are we doing next time that everyone has opportunity to still comment on? Yeah, so you can still comment on Snatcher, uh, which you can after uh, a, a couple of hours of trying to figure out emulate uh, on both Windows and Mac. Yeah, uh, Google it, and then go- Google how to Google it. Yeah, exactly. After you it. <laughs> yeah, so so first Google it, and then if you can't figure out figure that out, go to the Google and then ask a friend to use Let Me Google that for you to point it out to yes, you, and just continue, keep working on it. We yeah. both had technical problems on this how much i lost two hours initially what did you lose oh i didn't really lose anything it's just that the cutscenes oh. didn't have any audio and i just uh, I, I, gotcha. and once i once i figured out what the problem was i just listened to the audio <laughs> yeah or watch them on youtube or something yeah yeah so yeah. it's it's a visual novel um and uh as such it is a national treasure much yeah. in, much in the way that deus ex likes are a national treasure yes yeah um, it's very it's very fun i'm enjoying it quite a bit like uh the uh it's funny mm-hmm. like it's actually like i find it to be out of Kojima games so far, like I don't want to make any declarative statement because they're not all fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. But it's the most I remember laughing at a, a Kojima game. Yeah, you know, so it's it's actually it's very funny. So that's that's great. Yeah, you know, what um, a good. Uh, yeah, I'm incredibly excited to talk about it at length, but uh, you still have an opportunity to respond. So if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, uh, we're recording on Saturday. So just uh, give us a response, uh, you know, on Friday at work when you're thinking, fuck mm-hmm. this place and yeah. uh, <laughs> and we'll read it. Yeah, and then uh, after that, we're doing Dishonored. Yeah. Um, Revenge solves everything. <laughs> um, yeah, so the second episode of Wolf, I'm looking forward to that as well. Have you started that yet, Cole? Uh, no, I have not, but I fully intend to uh, sometime this week after I play my Object Suffering games. Yeah. Which indeed. is another show on the network. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of segues, um, <laughs> listen, to, uh, listen to all of our shows on the network. Mm-hmm. Um, Abject Suffering, where Cole and I play bad games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bonfire Side Chat, where we play games with souls in the title, <laughs> um, including Souls Blazer. And, and and Dark Souls Two, the game maker, yeah, ninety nine game uh, that came out that nobody wants to play. Yeah, um, we're you know working through Demon Souls. We're going to make an announcement very soon about what we're doing for a third season of that. Mm-hmm. So if you're into Souls games, I really can't think of a better podcast. Yeah, uh, for you, it is very specialized. <laughs> um, Cole does a show called The Level mm-hmm. with uh, some of his friends. It is an audio magazine. Talks about new games. Talks about uh, just kind of you know what you play in things in the news, um, et cetera. There's a heavy fan interaction. Uh, probably you can ask them questions and give them discussion prompts, and they'll do the same um, on their Facebook. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, he does a blog called Heck Crank, Hex Crank. Not yeah. Heck Crank. That's, that's, the, that's the, the PG version. Yeah. Heck Crank. Heck, whoa, whoa, whoa. I do Heck Crank. Cole, are you doing your post on Heck Crank? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Heck Crank. Yep. Uh, quack. Just, uh, Hex Quack, I Hex think quack. is what it is. Uh, fits with the fits of the network. You're you're spiraling, <laughs> yeah. Gary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Hex Crank, which yeah. is a, a exhaustive examination of sur- the history of survival horror in video games. Yep, just uh, just did a, an article about a horrible game called Personal Nightmare. <laughs> the, uh, you know, Personal Nightmare. The those games that are made by that company and those Elvira games. Uh-huh. When I ha- I had a subscription to. Um, like electronic computer gaming or one of those, you know, like in the late eighties and early nineties, all video game magazines were just combinations of those words. Yeah. yeah. So it was like either like computer gaming, electronic or like something <laughs> like that. Um, it wasn't EGM, but it was specifically about PC games, which was weird because I didn't have a PC. Mm-hmm. I think some relative got it for me just knowing I liked video games. Right. And I used to sit there and just stare at like reviews of those games lustfully, like not <laughs> horny lustfully because of Elvira, not dick lust, but, but game like Blood stoke, lust. Yeah. Stoke game boners for them because I loved adventure games, but, at the mm-hmm. time, like all I played was like Maniac Mansion and Shadowgate and stuff, and I'm like, "This yeah. looks like Shadowgate! <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe these are out there! I can't play it! Oh, and here's Willie Beamish! It looks like Maniac Mansion! <laughs> ah!" And just like freaking out about not being able to play these games. Yeah, and it's great to hear that they're all terrible, and I should never <laughs> play them. And 
yeah, uh, they're, they're killing you softly. Yeah, no, so. no, and, and and hopefully, hopefully, I was able to uh, you know make some make some light out of it. Um, you dissuaded I'll, me from playing it successfully. Yeah. Well, like it, it shows up on GOG for like a dollar fifty, and you're like, yeah. huh, it's a horror game. I love horror games. Yep, but you <laughs> yeah. don't love this horror game. Yeah, and also any opportunity to ca- any opportunity to casually reference Goulardi, I will take. Yeah, Sven Gulli in Chicago, Goulardi in Cincinnati. <laughs> yep, yeah. Sven Gulli. And then Cincinnati just had the ghoul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. man, what a cool thing. I, I think I've told you this before, but I, the character I wanted to make if I ever did a modern, played a tabletop game and did a modern superhero game, mm-hmm. was a, a character like that who gained necromatic powers, but was just like a harmless old fart. Yeah. But he just had serious necromatic powers. So he'd be like, <laughs> you know, like hosting old monster movies and know all this monster lore, but he was just this, you know, harmless old dumbass who did some creature feature. Yeah. And it kind of thing like that. God, I love that phenomenon. Just the, the creature yeah. feature thing. Like, yeah. Oh that's, man, just 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 go watch Ed Wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that stuff's good. Yeah, Mystery Science Theater three thousand and the like. Mm, so good. Oh, but yeah. uh, continuing, <laughs> despite that mm-hmm. digression, Gary does a bunch of other stuff. Uh, check it out, Comrade, which is a uh, an indie games podcast he does yep. with uh, his friend and ours, Nick Glauber. Yep. The um, next episode that comes out at the time you hear this um, features Cole. Oh yeah, we're talking about the the Stanley Parable and uh, Prison Architect. Yes. So. Yeah. And uh, you're going to be having other network stars on the uh, on, on the show as well. Indeed. Um, it is. It is really good. Um, hear it uh, for a spoiler free uh, kind of like uh, persuasion as to why you should check out these awesome games. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, he does pilot season, which is an awesome, fun, experimental, quirky uh, variety show, uh, which is a new concept every two weeks. Yep. Indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, rate, review, all those things. Um, mm-hmm. It's still plenty of time before Christmas, so use the Amazon referral link if you're buying Christmas presents. Yeah. I know I do. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, so that's really appreciated. And yeah. then uh, ratings, reviews, buy my album, do all the stuff, mm-hmm. buy our live episode about yeah. Mario Kart. And if you're showing up here because of the my brother, my brother, and me ad, let us know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When 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 does or did that, that drop? That that is December the sixteenth. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so look out for that. Yeah. The um yeah and uh yeah and if you're coming here from Chris Avalon's Twitter <laughs> when we mention him welcome yes <laughs> and I uh, hope you like the episode and look for more of it on the network yeah so. fantastic well until next time uh you should watch out for me beaming about having spoken to Chris Avalon yeah, and watch, him being watch a out cool for dude super nice guys yeah <laughs> yeah look, look out for them watch out for guys them, so. <laughs> yeah like watch for them specifically and then have them just be awesome around yeah, you those are the people you want to have in your life yeah so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also right. outtakes. Yes. Hey there, guys. What's going on? Hey, Chris. Not much. Hi. Hey. And this is uh, Cole and Gary. Is that correct? Yes. This is Cole. Yep. And this is Gary. Cole and Gary, it is a pleasure to meet you. I am Chris. Hey, yeah. Chris. It, the, the pleasure <laughs> is all ours. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time. Hey, no problem. Uh, by the way, I absolutely love the name of your podcast. It's it's freaking awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it comes from um, the movie The Wizard. Um, if, I have if, seen that. Yep. Yeah, that Nintendo commercial. There's a part where um, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bridges is talking to Fred Savage in a hotel room. He's like, well, you know, or you know, he's training Christian Slater on Nintendo, and he's like, you know, we have to get you the latest tips and tricks. And they cut away to like a tips and tricks line, and there's a like a real <laughs> '80s looking dude. That, you know, he's loosened up his tie for the day. He's all sweating. He's like, all right, the important part this next area is to watch out for fireballs which is you know the <laughs> dumbest advice for an nes game yeah it's <laughs> because you know you normal, normally normally you want to catch fireballs yeah. like you know, yeah. you, 
<laughs> collect collect them like coins. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually what our D and D party frequently does. They actually do frequently collect fireballs like they're collecting giant gold shiny coins and yeah, it's probably the reason why die, we die so much. But no, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The the, uh, the Twitter post about your D and D room um there have made me insanely jealous i've been trying to get a D room into my work and they're just like this is a school of business butterfield <laughs> no interest in your dungeons or your dragons but we were like look it builds camaraderie like you can have discussions hang out with your friends you know it's it's a very low-key activity sir it's great for morale morale building at least that's the that's the story we stick to i mean I, you know gary it's, it's probably a good thing you weren't there today we actually uh play on tuesdays and thursdays and the party got split up uh, Which normally isn't a big deal, but when you only have an hour to play and half the table's waiting around for the other half to break them out of prison, it gets pretty <laughs> freaking boring. Yeah, I, I can safely say, uh, with no sense of exaggeration, that it wasn't a good thing that I wasn't there today, and that I would have <laughs> rather have done that than <laughs> what I did instead. <laughs> no matter how boring. It was, okay, so. okay, fair, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that, that's actually why they tanked the idea at my work is because I said it built mor- built morale. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what they're going for. So. Yeah, we actually uh, we actually do a whole bunch of gaming stuff at work. We have a, a board game website, and we play board games during lunch and after hours, and sometimes during the day if it's for research for other stuff. And then uh, we have the D and D room, which we use for like Tuesday Thursday lunches. And then aside from all the computer gaming that goes on. Uh, we also have um, uh, a poker night every Wednesday night, and, and the, that gets pretty intense and scary. So we kind of, I, I kind of stay away from that area because I, I don't really understand poker very well. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought the place that I worked was cool for having a pool table. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you just put a bunch of MacBooks on it, it's not cool. It's just a table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what, what specific uh, uh, brain bot from from Old World Blues is your icon, Chris? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, well, I have feelings about each one of them, and they're not strange <laughs> or unusual feelings. So I don't want the, the, you know the world at large <laughs> to judge me for these feelings. But um, uh, I don't know. I think with uh, Doctor Eight, maybe I'm a compulsive masturbator, so maybe like all, all his all his side dialogue was probably associated with that. The uh, the frightening insecurity that uh, Doctor O slash Zero has, uh, you know, is uh, is always really easy to tap into. Klein, Klein, I don't have much in common with. Klein was kind of my attempt to make sure that there was some obvious threat. In the think tank, because Klein's the most authoritative one, and I think if he hadn't been there, it would have been real. It would have been like almost impossible to take any of those guys seriously. But Klein was so crazy and aggressive and managerial mm-hmm. that he sort of lent weight to the think tank actually hurting or destroying somebody. It was important that he be there. And Dala, Dala's just oversexed, so like you know she and <laughs> you know she and Adri easily covered. And then. Uh, Bo- Hello? Uh-oh. But but I thought that uh, – I'm sorry, Boros. Uh, but I just did think it would be really nice if there was a you know, brain bot that you, know, you were able to make more human because you reminded him of his dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really appropriate Skype icon. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like interfacing through these machines. Yeah, and, Mo- and Mobius, I think I just tried to model after Tom, Tom Baker a little bit. So I always liked him as the as the doctor. 
I, I just, uh, I just um, after playing Fallout 2, I kind of got a hankering for for some of the the New Vegas stuff, and just got done replaying Old World Blues for the second Aww. time. Yeah, yeah like, literally, like the day before yesterday, I just wrapped it up. Mm-hmm. Did the thing. Yeah, we had a we had a lot of fun with that one. Although we were really scared about how the community would react to it because it was so weird. Um, and and they, with the comedy, we were kind of like, well, maybe this is just you know going way too far. But we figured as long as we didn't break the fourth wall and there was a reason for all that humor that it was a little bit more uh, palatable than some of the stuff we put in Fallout 2. So I think that was kind of the 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 deciding point there. I think I think if, I think Game Banshee, which is one of like the computer game sites, called us out on it and said, you know, these guys come pretty close to the fourth wall, <laughs> and even that's not necessarily a great thing. But at least they didn't cross over. So. Yep. But, and forgive me, Game, Game Banshee, if I have your quote wrong, but <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to recall it from memory. Yeah. It's so it's my favorite of the DLC for it, and I I like all of them, but I like it as a refresher because the other ones are so serious. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I like I like how far it goes in that direction. Um, in this playthrough, I ended up doing, you know, I kind of those are the only parts of the game I've only done once because I'm a pretty you know ridiculous Fallout fan, and the um the I did uh, right after Dead Money, and I really love Dead Money, but it is very serious. And then, and then Old World Blues comes, and yeah. Yeah, one of the goals with HDLC was not only did we want to change the visual look of the environment, we wanted the actual tone of each DLC to feel uh, to feel different. Even though the other three were serious, we tried to make sure that there was a different aspect to that seriousness going. Like, you know, uh, Dead Money was all about, like, horror and survival, mm-hmm. and Lonesome Road was just, like, you know, personal damnation alley journey, and Old World Blues is kind of like 1950s science. And then Honest Hearts, I think uh, the project director for that could probably speak to it. But we, it, it was a conscious effort to try and make each one feel tone-wise different in addition to all the visuals. And also with uh, with Lonesome Road and um, Old World Blues, part of the problem – well, I wouldn't say problem. I would say design challenge. One of the design <laughs> challenges with both of those was just – ex- Opportunities, exactly. Is we had to – make sure we could reuse as many assets as possible. So part of the design challenge, uh, sorry, opportunity was, <laughs> hey, well, how, you know, if we do have all these old assets, how can we use them in a way that feels different than how they've been used before? And then Lonesome Road was easy because of all the earthquakes and shattered ground and, you know, yeah. canyon buildings. But Old World Blues is just like, hey, they can all be like really cool backdrops and science facilities and they're all nutty and there's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So we had, we, had a, we, had a, we had a blast with those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done. <laughs> well, thank um, you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and you. Yeah. yeah. And just then, you know, get out of the way. I'll probably say it more than once. But thank you very much for doing this. Um, oh, but thanks for inviting me. I was, I was really flattered you guys asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, it's one of the, um, I can say without any kind of sense of exaggeration and, and that, you know, the record will show um, that I'm a pretty, pretty consistently a, a big fan of games that you have your name on. Um, I take any opportunity to talk about Alpha Protocol when we're talking about underrated things. Oh wow, um, that's really yeah. that's wow. Yeah. I love I, I love it. I love that Thank game. Thank you. Like, Cole can attest. Like yeah. I've tried to get him to play it so many times. I I, <laughs> I, I own several copies of it actually. <laughs> so. Yeah, and then we did uh, we did Torment for the show as well, which yeah. is another oh, one okay. of my all time favorites. So. The, uh, yeah, that was they, that was another title. We weren't sure how it was going to be received by the public. <laughs> every every time you think that, follow your instincts because every, <laughs> yeah. I mean I don't know the, the economics of, of any of it, but every time you do, you end up making one of my favorite games. So yeah. the uh, keep it keep it up. Well, well, and ask for much yeah. more than thanks, yeah. Gary. I really appreciate it. that. Was very nice yeah. to hear. No, yeah, no problem. No, the uh, absolutely. I'll uh, as I said, record will show. Is all <laughs> things I've said many times. So super excited. Yeah. 
So I, waff up the jams. Yeah. So I took the liberty of continuing the story from last time. Yeah, yeah. I, I read, I read this. I sent a, I, I made up some yes. Fallout porn names to to add in there mm-hmm. somewhere. Like the, you know, the producers of. Yeah. Just to throw in some list. Yeah, jokes. like the like the like the background, uh, like the, yeah. like the. Thank you for calling Golden Globes Films. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cre- yeah, creators of. Yeah, I, I don't understand ass miners. Oh, they're just they're just miners. they're just a lot of miners in Fallout. Oh, okay, ass. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Yeah. All right. The wet valley of breast claw. <laughs> I the only one of these I actually really like is Modoc Mo Dick. Modoc Mo Dick. Vicky does Vault City. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. mm-hmm. Um, I figured oh, you'd I'm, be. I'm con- kind of surprised there wasn't a Ghouls Gone Wild as well. In yeah. the first uh, one, I feel like we like. I'm surprised we didn't come up with that earlier and make a commercial for that a sketch. <laughs> like just like watch them sit at bar stools, <laughs> <laughs> crying into beer. <laughs> oh man, there could be like a lot of really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> uncomfortable overtones to that like you know this like most ghouls have no self-esteem yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it's like these ghouls these ghouls will do anything for a for a stim pack yeah hey smooth skin you want to see my penis here it is <laughs> oh do you want to see <laughs> here it is do you give wanna, me the rad X. do you want to see where my penis was <laughs> <laughs> you can see elements of my penis here here and what remains of it here? <laughs> <laughs> it, w- it wandered up to my elbow. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> You're looking at smooth skin. <laughs> 50 caps. <laughs> it's kind of like when, uh, when a homeless person comes up and squeegees your windshield in the media. <laughs> I've never had that happen, except he comes up and shows you his dick and demands $50. Five caps. Right here. You got the show. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. man! Uh, so I figured uh, you could be the comedian. Sounds good. Because... Are you thinking like um, Rodney Dangerfield, or are you thinking like Bob Newhart, like nervous or um, like confidently nervous? I, I was uh, so, so I was thinking like just you know attempting to emulate Jerry Seinfeld, like okay. just just like real hacky, like almost Neil Hamburger kind of style. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Hamburger is responsible for one of my favorite two-line jokes in anything in the episode of Tim and Eric mm-hmm. that he's in where Eric Horheim says, I, Mr. Hamburg, I'd appreciate it if you stop calling us rapists. And he goes, <laughs> don't rape. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> oh man. So good. Yeah. I didn't realize that, uh, most of the public access people that they brought in did Christian shows. Yeah. A lot of them did. Yeah. Like David lead Hart, uh, Lieb Hart and, uh, Oh gosh, one of the other guys that's really hard to look at. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah, uh, James Qual. Yep, that's one. Is it? Yep, <laughs> yep. Really Same hard to look at. Yeah, he is hard to look at. And and they, well, they they really play it up too. Like mm-hmm. he's not that hard to look up with look at without makeup. <laughs> yeah, but they really bring out that rosacea. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I need to go back and watch those. It's been a, it's been a, a an age. Yep, it's been. I think that when 
um, the producer comes into the fluffing room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily like I know he says he's going into the fluffing room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we need to do some background noise or have the uh, so the idea that the comedian has fallen on hard times and has turned mm-hmm. to fluffing. Yeah, um, has to be underlined just a little bit. Okay. Um, something I was thinking about, like uh, where are we at? Um, in the first line where he said, you know, full chub, half chub, what are we looking at? Maybe have one of the porn stars be like, uh, you know, he boss, he's not doing so good or something like that. Oh, okay. Something implying that there are dudes in there that he's fluffing. And then every once in a while, or not every once in a while, cause it would be gross. <laughs> but I was thinking about starting the, the comedian line with something, you know, like a, Oh yeah, like, you know, I, like I, some kind of. That, that's actually something I was actively trying to avoid when writing. This. <laughs> so, you don't want wet noises. Nope. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't uh, you know, they're like they're, there are very few lines that I'm not willing to cross. Um, however, <laughs> put it, put, put it, putting the... audible cock sucking noises in a sketch. Well, I wasn't going to do multiple noises. <laughs> okay. It was just going to be him disengaging. But I, I feel like there should be something in there implying that he was just previously fluffing okay. or about to fluff. Yeah. Whatever the Latin is for two fluff. <laughs> Fluffus. Two fluff. Fluffed. Yes. Um, but one of the porn star guys just being like, you know, he's not like, like he ain't, you know, something like that. Yeah. I think would probably do it. Okay. Okay.